Identity Trust Pulse, where we bring you the latest insights and trends from the fraud and identity industry. The use of artificial intelligence with malicious intent is reshaping the fraud risk landscape and posing new challenges for establishing and proving someone's identity. Fraudsters of various abilities, from those with little technical know-how to cross-border organized fraud groups, can leverage AI tools to conduct increasingly sophisticated attacks that can be more convincing, scalable, and fast. I'm your host, Nina Kerkes, and I've invited Dr. Jeffrey Feinstein, Vice President of Global Analytics Strategy at LexisNexis Risk Solutions, uh, to discuss about the potential for AI to be used to facilitate fraudulent activities, how businesses should prepare against these attacks, and also how AI can be leveraged to help prevent fraud from happening in the first place. Jeffrey, thank you for joining us. Uh, How has AI evolved over the years from a concept uh, most of us would come across in science fiction to an everyday reality? (laughs) Thanks. First of all, thanks so much, Nina, for for having me. And as we start talking about AI, I I always start with just defining AI because there tends to be some confusion. What's AI? What's not AI? Things like that. So our working definition is that it's a machine-based system which infers solutions to set tasks with a degree of autonomy. Now, we also hear terms like machine learning, which is the same and different. Some, peop- some people kind of conflate machine learning and AI, but whereas AI is a system that simulates some sort of human activity, um, machine learning is really the process by which uh, a machine learns the rules to simulate the system. So if you built, say, an AI generator to, say, determine whether a picture is a cat or not a cat, the machine learning will be the process by which an algorithm learns the characteristics of a cat and the characteristics that aren't a cat. And that would ultimately be embedded in something that would be an AI or artificial intelligence-based system. We also hear a lot about generative AI, software like ChatGPT or Bard or Claude. Those are the, those are probably the big three, although there's, there's it, it feels like there's hundreds of them out there um, these days. These are forms of what's called a large language model that uses AI-based methods to ingest and output human-like text, and that can simulate conversations across a variety of topics on which it was trained. Keep in mind, on which it was trained. ChatGPT, for example, has a training limit. It was trained up to a certain point, and it really doesn't know that much beyond that point. So it, it, it really does give its scope, the data that it was trained on. Also, the nature of the question, we talk about AI as if it's a new concept. But really, the first uses of AI date back to the 1950s, um, particularly in banking. Um, that's when the first logistic regressions were used um, to build credit risk models. In other words, assessments of whether or not a consumer is likely to pay their debts back or not. And AI has clearly evolved over the years. And when we talk about the big and recent innovations like generative AI, that revolution is mostly a social change. Um, these methods have existed prior. But what's really happened is that um, they become available and uh, with both kind of the capability, but also awareness. So AI has largely been democratized to the extent that it's available through all of our devices and and consumer-centric portals and so forth to really make it available. And that's why we've kind of been hearing so much about it of late. Yeah, I I absolutely love it. Uh, I love playing with uh, some of these generative AI models available online. Figuring out myself how to write, to ask the right question is probably the the you know the kind of the biggest challenge here. But what are we actually hearing from our customers uh, in regards to AI? Yeah, it's been fun to play with. Just to, to follow up on your comment and yeah. prompt engineering um, <laughs> yes. is by far 
um, the, the, the most challenging part. And by prompt engineering, um, how you ask the question affects how you get the answer. And I found cases where I get wildly different answers asking the same questions. And that has led to a, a reaction by, by customers, right? In, in that there tends to be one of three responses to, to um, Gen AI. That is um, excitement, confusion, and worry. And there's no right or wrong answer here. They're all entirely um, appropriate, right? But we're at that transformation point, and it's clear that customers are thinking about it. And, and that thinking is they're either excited about what they could do, they're worried about what they could do, and the confusion and stuff like prompt engineering, which got us to this point in our, in, in our discussion, um, is one of those areas. Like, hey, wait, in most, ma most mathematical equations, you ask the same question, you get the same answer, right? Mm -hmm. One plus one will always be two. But in generative AI, how you ask the question could dramatically affect how you get the answer. And that's really probably what drives worry the most as uh, we look at integrating those in our systems. Interesting. Uh, what would you say then that, you know, we see as some of the most promising opportunities that um, AI is creating for our customers? Yeah, so here's what generative AI is, is good at, right? It takes unstructured information, it analyzes that information, or at least surveys what's available about that information, and it gives responses in unstructured ways. So it's very much simulating talking to a human in a Q&A sort of way. One of the challenges in banking, whether it be fraud mitigation or elsewhere, is that banking relies a lot on B2B applications, where we respond to an inquiry based on, say, a score, a three-digit number. And of course, it could be more or less than three digits. Or a set of attributes kind of summarizing the characteristics of a transaction or a consumer or otherwise. It's not immediately clear how something that's unstructured could be applied in the, these sorts of fixed layouts. In fact, it would be a problem, right, if you're expecting a fixed layout and all of a sudden getting paragraphs back or, say, respond in the form of, say, a pirate. That just doesn't have a place in those sorts of fixed layouts in business to business. So for those sorts of applications, we're probably going to need a change in data model for us to really kind of deploy them in your standard scoring application. That's not to say that there aren't areas where it's going to make where it is and is going to make a difference, especially with text-based processing. So, for example, documentation, whether it be internal, kind of within a financial institution or vendor documentation, or explainable documentation to consumers, um, marketing efforts, due diligence. These are areas where they're relatively manual, long text processes to increase the magnitude of what they're doing. Those are the areas where generative AI will shine right out of the right outside of the box. And of course, as generative AI capabilities grow, as AI capabilities grow, as the market becomes more comfortable with it, as we master the data model problem, that is the, the B2B fixed layouts, I'm sure that will that will grow with time and, and across more use cases. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. I'm also um, very intrigued to kind of observe how the regulation change. Um, you know, certainly uh, it's interesting. There's a lot going on in the UK. Uh, Jeff, we observe this. We talk about mm -hmm. this all the time. But, um, you know, we uh, I'm, I'm really kind of keen to see what comes out of it. We don't want to hinder that innovation by putting too much regulation around explainability when it comes to AI. And I think that's a really fine um find balance uh, to strike right now. Yeah, that's a really good point, Nina, um, when we start talking about 
kind of the regulatory implications of these elements. Now, regulations aren't new. Analytics aren't new. As I was saying, um, AI applications go back to the 1950s. A U.S. regulation like the FCRA and the ECOA, those all date back to the 1970s. And what's interesting is those are as relevant today as they've always been. Um, Those regulations, of course, have been updated with time. Um, But if you really think about the focus on kind of AI in general, these sorts of regulations focus on privacy, fairness, explainability, transparency, bias, and, and elements like that. And those are just as relevant with generative AI as they were with um, logistic regression, which is one of the more more basic um, methods. So what I really expect in the regulatory um, framework is more a change of wording than anything else. So for example, one of the criticisms, um, say a risk of generative AI is that it, it, it lacks attribution or at least versions of it lack attribution, which makes it hard to make it explainable. Well, that's just a coding problem. Right. It doesn't have to lack attribution. It just it just does. So we're often comparing generative AI today to other methods today. But if we think about like generative AI and compare it to the early days of Internet search or the Internet in the 1990s, we're leaps and bounds ahead of that. And just as, say, Internet search has evolved to support these regulations and fairness and so forth. um, So so will generative AI to kind of fill those gaps. and. Just to follow, one more other thing on regulation, I made reference to U.S. regulations. There's regulations across the globe that focus on those very same element, elements about explainability and transparency and privacy and bias um, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Perhaps it's the expertise that we need uh, more, uh, more of, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in, uh, in, in those uh, places where the regulations are being made. Now, what do you see kind of as some of those greatest risks that are associated with the, the use of AI? There are opportunities, but what are the risks? Sure. Steering clear of the larger talk track of AI taking over the universe should our automated vacuum all of a sudden um, take over our homes and the world, um, which largely appears in fictional works to date. Um, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it's not going to happen <laughs> in the next couple of years. In banking applications, the one we hear the most about are hallucinations, right? And there's a real risk there. When decisions are made in a consumer-facing transaction, it's really important that we can trust the analytics or the data that go into that. And that makes hallucinations seem really scary. In fact, it seems like a reason to not use these methods. But let's just remember that hallucinations are really part of the algorithm of generative AI. It's not a requirement. Um, it's very easy to create um, prompts that avoid either avoid hallucinations or, or, or simply say, base it on what you know and not on um, on kind of other elements, because generative AI is kind of programmed to please, right, to say something that you might be either entertained by or found informative. You can back off of hallucinations, um, whether it be by using certain algorithms that avoid them or simply in prompt engineering. So let's not let's not kind of stop generative AI because of that fear. I'm not saying we shouldn't ignore it. We should certainly be on top of um, the responses and the algorithms. Um, But it's not really a reason to avoid generative AI as of now. Just have to be careful about it. The other risks, of course, are about the use of by by bad actors. So, So 
let's just remember, bad actors do bad things. And bad actors have been doing bad things, whether using generative AI or not. So we can go back and start talking about, say, the Nigerian prince scam and realize that they were doing that before generative AI. They will do it after. So um, I don't want to go really into specifics, though, when we kind of talk about the risks there, only because I realize that this is an open forum and I really don't want to give ideas to bad actors on, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let me let me go try that. But bad actors are going to be bad actors. Let's just remember that. If AI isn't the problem, it's in controlling bad actors that, that are really the risk. Um, another kind of general risk that I kind of see emerging as it relates to um, AI in general is the perception of unimpeachability. Let me define that just for a second. Because AI said it is so must mean that it is so. And that's not always the case, right? Um, yeah. AI solutions rely heavily on the data input into it. So it's really a reflection of that data. So um, AI will tell you what it finds in the data, not absolute truth. So we have to be really careful and always look at AI-derived solutions, not just understanding what it says, but why it's saying it or, or, or what are the data elements that led it to that conclusion. Because it's possible that those conclusions, a conclusion that AI said, is really the result of a historical data set that's just reflecting historical biases from the past. Yeah, I mean, it really goes back to to the fact that the data is critical, um, especially in the industry we operate in. And, you know, we talk about financial services here. So the data that you input into the mm -hmm. systems is, you know, absolutely extremely important because at the end of the day, um, if you feed it rubbish, I guess it will give you rubbish, right? You're, you're That's right. Not going to have, yeah, you're not going to have um, correct information fed back to you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know you don't want to go into too much detail about the bad actors and, uh, you know, what they're doing. But what what can you tell me? Um, you know, what are um, they utilizing or how are they utilizing sure. AI in, you know, fraud attacks? So let's just take a step back and realize the business model of the bad actor is simply to fool an entity, whether it be a bank or a person or a news outlet into thinking that they're talking to a real person or a real identity or whatever it might be. It's, it's the act of simulation, right? A bad actor wants to simulate something so as to um, perpetrate a crime or steal money or scam a consumer. And whether the identity is stolen, in other words, the fraudster is trying to say, oh yes, I am the following person based on a stolen identity or created um, all the fraudsters trying to do is trick an entity into believing that the information in front of them is truthful, that 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 that, that entity receiving the information should grant a loan or or call up their bank and change, you know, do X, Y or Z. Um, so that's really what the fraudsters are trying to do. Now, AI helps them to scale. It makes them more efficient. So, for example, in the Nigerian print scam, which I already made reference to, we all know habitually that, well, let's look for, for typos or grammar mistakes or things like that. Clearly, um, using AI, that kind of signal um, isn't going to be as evident. And what we have to do as stewards of information, as stewards of our own credit and transactions, as stewards of the safety and security of banks and so forth, is be suspicious 
and use all the right tools so that instead of kind of the the um, the predisposition to trust an entity and what they're trying to say, always check twice. Look and triangulate because that's the only way you can really identify fictionalized identities from actual identities. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, again, Jeff, you kind of mentioned um, us being our own guardians of data. What we're really seeing a lot more um, of in the news is obviously the romance scams and deep fakes associated with it. Um, what can we tell people? You know, do we have any advice that we can give people on how to, um, you know, better identify these or protect themselves in these situations? Oh, that's an excellent question, and that's a really hard question. Um, to really think about. And the best that I could say is think before you act. Um, if somebody's asking you for something and it's a surprise, it's not someone you've done business with or it's not a confirmed relation. And the reason I say confirmed relation is there are deep fakes. Your cousin could call and say that they're in prison. Um, they need bail money. So simply check your facts. Um, address each of these requests and ask yourself the question, if I was a fraudster, is this what it would look like? Is this how I would scam me? At the same time, don't just think about the big things. So let's just say you were in, somebody called you up and said, I need a check. I, I, need, I, I need money, like send me $100,000 or X, Y, and Z is going to happen. You might go, huh, that's a lot of money. Let me look into it. However, that an entity could make the same request for a very small amount of money, for $5, for $10, whatever it might be. Keep in mind that those are ways of getting in, getting in and developing trust. That $5 transaction might be enough to, say, give information to the fraudster that they can use further. So, for example, um, if you write a check and you send them that check, they'll have access to your account information. I'll have access to your address and that will just help them to simulate more. So focus on the small things as much as the big things um, and, and always, always question um, when someone who you don't know or you can't confirm that you know, giving deep fakes, um, asks you for something. Um, I recall a fraud just recently where access to ones, it was like online ordering at a deli was actually used as a methods for credit card fraud. It's easy enough, oh yeah, here's my password, go order from so-and-so deli. But remember, in there might be credit information and so forth. So you really have to be careful, even with the small asks. Great, thank you, that's really useful. Um, all right, so with that, how um, does a responsible AI framework enable a safe and fair use of AI? Well, responsible AI is so important. I'm really proud of the fact that we at LexisNexis Risk Solutions abide by a set of responsible AI principles. And what we don't talk about a lot, these principles were derived in collaboration with a company called Relix. LexisNexis Risk Solution is a division of Relix. And what makes it interesting as we talk about applications, we know LexisNexis Risk Solutions as servicing financial institutions and insurers, but Relic services a far broader set. And so these are really, really inclusive of all sorts of AI-based uh, transactions, conversations, and so on and so forth. And what's really critical as good actors in the industry, it's really important that we follow these practices. And there's really, there's two primary reasons for following these practices. And I'm, again, I'm so proud of them. First, we need to be doing the right thing for ourselves, 
our customers and their customers. And that is so important that that is actually a corporate value of ours. Um, I'd, I'd also like to think of just how our solutions affect people. So, for example, we focus so much on financial inclusion, helping consumers get access to credit while also protecting their identities. Um, if solutions aren't transparent, if they aren't fair, if they don't abide by some method of responsible AI or some oversight or some mission, um, the system just won't work. The second reason that I think it's really important to have these best practices is purely regulatory. There are regulations across the globe, in, in almost every country and continent across the globe. Um, there's some sort of best practice with regard to what you should and shouldn't do. Those regulations are really derived from responsible analytics, responsible AI type thinking. By having principles around responsible AI, we're on so much stronger footing with regard to these regulations. We might do responsible AI because it's the right thing to do, but we're in such a good position because what do these regulations do? They say that we need to be transparent. We need to support privacy. We need to be fair. We need to reduce biases. We need to be inclusive. That the regulations are so much easier to support. In fact, if you invest in responsible AI, you're, while you still need a regulatory regime to both build and test your products, you probably have about 75% of the job done simply by satisfying the mission. Now, we've been talking a lot about responsible AI, and I already, Dean, I already know your next question, right? Well, what are the relics or yes. the LexisNexis risk solutions of Please responsible AI? Please tell me. <laughs> so I'll, I'll save you asking the question and just share. This is kind of where we focus, the real-world impact of our solutions on people. We have to realize that we're not just building fraud scores. We're not just building risk scores. We are affecting people and their access to credit, and we really have to take that responsibility very, very seriously to the extent that we're enabling companies to issue credit. We're enabling consumers to get credit. And, and without that, the system's broken. And, and if you don't do that in a fair and equitable way, we have a problem. That was the first one. Second, we take action to prevent the creation or reinforcement of unfair bias. Credit has to be available to everyone um, everywhere, and we have to build these solutions so as to avoid um, a practice where there's exclusion of one group or another based on that group membership. We need to make the process fair to all. And the third one, we need to explain how our solutions work. We need to have sufficient transparency that consumers know what's happening, that customers know what ha what's happening, and can explain it to themselves and their customers. And in fact, one of the kind of fun definitions I use for when something's sufficiently explainable, this is my own fun definition, is if I can explain it to my mom. And to me, that's an important standard because that means that I'm focused on explainability. If I can't explain it to my mom, I probably have to think about it again because if my mom doesn't understand it, then others likely won't understand it. We have to create accountability through human oversight. You can't just set it and forget it. You can't just throw a solution out there, but we have to review it. We have to be accountable for the solutions that we build. We can't build algorithms and say, well, it's not us. It's the algorithm. Well, the algorithm is us. We have to have that level of accountability. We have to back up what we say. And we respect privacy and champion robust data governance. Um, that essentially means that we have to be respectful of where the data comes from, who owns the data, and the responsible treatment across the data workflow from beginning to end. That's, that, that sort of trust is essential, because without that trust, um, 
you can engage in responsible AI and you can't focus on on all the other elements that kind of help both consumers and banks. That's really interesting and really great to hear um, that these exist uh, within the organization today um, and that, you know, these are things that we've really thought through and uh, want to present uh, to our customers or actually incorporate in our um, product builds, ultimately, that we present to our customers. Now, we've seen that organizations around the globe are expanding their use of AI um, to cater to consumers, increase demands for speed and convenience. Um, how do you see AI being used to counter fraud and financial crime in the future, perhaps? Well, fighting fraud is always going to be a bit of a cat and a mouse game, right? As AI becomes more democratized and is available to all, um, we're going to have that challenge. And in fact, when we started this conversation, you know, I kind of talked about how AI has become democratized. Anybody who uses uh, some sort of device, a cell phone or um, or a computer or, or otherwise, really has access to AI. And that brings opportunities, but it also brings risks. And ultimately, AI is a tool for both entities, good actors and bad actors. And while we have a few tricks up our sleeve, Nina, trust me, we do have a, um, some tricks up our sleeves. So do they. And while I really don't want to get into specifics, because if we start talking about tactics, all that I'm really doing is informing. Um, I'm informing bad actors of what we're thinking and how to get a, ahead of it. All I can say is we'll continue to fight the fight and really focus on the simulation problem, right? The role of bad actors is that of simulation. So the better we can do at, at, at developing those signals, the, the better we can protect the financial system from those bad actors. And it's not just protecting the financial system, it's protecting consumers as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's let's keep that secret sauce. Uh, let's not <laughs> give that away quite yet. Um, but yeah, before I close, uh, here's a little funny uh, story. I was recently looking for a, for a speaker for an internal engagement uh, in diversity and inclusion, and uh, I was being offered. I, I forget her name. You might know, but um, you know the lady robot, uh, the AI generated uh, entity, uh, as as uh, you know, a, a diverse speaker. I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring her in. Maybe I'll bring her in to speak to us. Um, but yeah, Jeff, thank you for joining us and helping us to understand more about AI and the importance of putting responsible AI principles into practice. Thank you so much, Nina, for having me on the podcast. To our listeners, if you'd like more insights on emerging trends, I recommend reading our ebook, Technology, Multidimensional Data, and the Future of Fraud Prevention. You can find a link in the description. Thank you for listening and make sure you tune in again soon for another episode of the Identity Trust Pulse. Goodbye. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to and shall not be used as legal advice. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely those of the speakers and don't necessarily reflect the views or position of LexisNexis Resolutions. LexisNexis Resolutions does not warrant that the information provided in this podcast is accurate or error-free.